Thank you, Jesus. That you came for us. That you have opened a new and life-giving way to this God that you invite us to call Father. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to stir in us more affection for you, to empower us to live this life, to give us victory over the powers of darkness. Jesus, as we turn our hearts and minds toward you today, uh, we just ask that you would help us to hear you and to see you and to live into what you're asking us and to live into. Father, I, I, I pray against any device of the evil one that would seek to destroy or, 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 or distract we bind those agents in the name of Jesus and send you where Jesus sends you. And we pray, come Holy Spirit. Could you pray that with me, church? Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. What do you say? You want to study the Bible? Yeah? Okay. Daniel chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. Daniel chapter 10. Steph and I are kind of, Steph is my co-author on this sermon. Her parts, the, the good parts are her parts. So, Daniel chapter 10. So for the last few weeks, we've been on this journey of talking about exile, right? And by now, you're tired of hearing me say, what is an exile? An exile is a cognitive minority. Here's the reality. I, I might be saying it for the hundredth time. Some of you are hearing it for the first time. Awesome, right? Um, a co- an, ex- an exile is a cognitive minority. They are, they, they are someone whose pattern of life and thinking, it, it, it's just increasingly at odds of, with the people around them. To be an exile is to be someone who, who is an alien, a foreigner, even in a familiar place. And our, our, our contention in this series is that, that we are exiles as followers of Jesus in our cultural moment. In the same way that Din Djarin is an exile in the Mandalorian, in the same way that two of the five kids assigned to Saturday detention in the breakfast club are exiles from the, the normal kids in their school in the same way uh, that Neo and his friends are exiles in the Matrix. Now, I grew up in youth group. Not all of you did. Um, you missed out on some awesome stuff, um, some stuff that we all need to go to counseling for, too, but it's fine. Um, um, so when I was growing up, we were at a church that... Uh, had a pretty high standard for holiness in a pretty good way, and so it was pretty clear of like what movies we could watch and what movies we couldn't watch, and The Matrix came out, and The Matrix was like this, this perfect combination of like a really cool movie with really great effects that didn't have so much sex in it that we weren't allowed to watch it, right? And, and so, so we loved The Matrix, and, and I think our parents let us watch it because it was kind of like Christian-esque, right? Like Neo's kind of like a Jesus type in the in the story and and here's the the essence of the matrix is this guy neo waking up to realize that reality is far more complicated than what he had previously thought it was he comes to realize that reality is actually defined by good and evil by darkness and light by chaos and order and this battle between these forces, and Neo is drafted to be a part of that battle. There are moments that we bump up against this sense that reality is bigger and deeper than we thought it was. 
We, we stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and, and we see its beauty and we feel our smallness, but even in our smallness, we're aware that someone, someone likely made this and that someone might even be interested in me. We rush our child to the urgent care and then to the ER by ambulance and suddenly our world doesn't fit into the categories that it was fitting into just a little while ago. We wake up in the night after a particularly troubling dream. And those forces of light and darkness seem to be real. I want us to continue a conversation that we're having, or have been having this morning for the last couple of weeks, a conversation about spiritual warfare. And, and the last two gatherings, we've talked about spiritual warfare in terms of spiritual strongholds, hidden ideas and patterns of thinking that we kind of buy into without awareness. And, and, and as a result, we live with less freedom than Jesus has for us. But this morning, I want to talk about what happens when we leave the strongholds behind. What happens then? What happens then is spiritual warfare goes from covert to overt. So let's look at Daniel chapter 10. Daniel is a, a Jewish man who in his early 20s is deported into a foreign nation, Babylon, and he is placed in a training program to enter government service, enter the royal service. Daniel's, the work of Daniel's hand, the Lord establishes it and blesses it. And so, and so as Daniel is growing in his career, as Daniel is growing in his influence, as government changes hands from one party to the next, as the winds blow left and right in Babylon, just like they blow in Washington, D.C., Daniel continues to rise. He's made himself indispensable. Now, that journey hasn't been easy. The journey hasn't been easy. Daniel and his friends have been under a cultural pressure. A pressure no less real than the gravity holding me to the ground right now. And equally unseen, Daniel and his friends keep finding themselves going up against patterns of thinking and living that are taken for granted as just normal in the culture they find themselves in, but which go against the grain of what it means to belong to the people of God. And these unseen forces, these patterns of thinking, we call them spiritual strongholds. Why? That's what the Bible calls them. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, we live in the body, but we do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments. What are those strongholds? Arguments. And every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Spiritual strongholds are erected by fallen spiritual beings. Paul calls them in the New Testament uh, authorities and powers in unseen places. Daniel, as he goes against these spiritual strongholds, he's fighting a spiritual battle. He's fighting against a covert enemy who in Daniel 10 becomes very overt. Here in Daniel 10, at the very opening verses, Daniel says that he had had a vision three weeks prior. A vision that he says of times of war 
and great hardship. And this vision troubled him so much that he began to pray and fast. He said, I didn't, eat, I didn't drink wine, I didn't eat meat, no rich foods uh, passed my lips. He even says, I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. Now let's just stop for a second. We're going to talk about fasting a lot over the next few weeks. Feel free not to fast from showering. <laughs> just between me and you. Okay? So then he says in verse 4, On April 23rd, I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, and I looked up, and I saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning, and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, and they were terrified and ran away to hide. So I was alone to see this amazing vision. My my strength left me. My face grew deathly pale. I felt weak. And then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Verse 10, just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees, and the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. And when he said this, I stood up still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit of the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Okay, y'all, it's your Bible, I'm just reading it. You know what I'm saying? Here's what he just said. I was praying, and the Lord heard me, and the Lord sprung into action, and he sent an angelic messenger to talk to me about this vision I just got. But then the spirit prince of Persia, a power and principality, a demonic being assigned to the area of Persia, got in my way, and we were battling for 21 days, so I couldn't get here. So then the archangel came, he came with me, and now he's battling that spirit, So I can come here and talk to you. Later on in the chapter, he says, okay, now that we're done with this conversation, I've got to go back and help him continue to fight the spirit from Persia because then the spirit from Greece is going to come. It's your Bible. I'm just reading it. Right? We are not in Kansas anymore. The spiritual warfare that Daniel was experiencing behind the scenes, covert, moved to front and center, overt spiritual warfare. Why did this transition happen? Why did the spiritual warfare stuff around Daniel move from covert to overt? It's because he was breaking free of spiritual strongholds. Daniel and his friends had gone up against spiritual strongholds in the earlier parts of the book of Daniel. They have broken free from those strongholds and discovered in the words of John Wesley that the war was not over. Here's the thing about spiritual strongholds. 
Spiritual strongholds are like prisoner of war camps. They're like POW camps. Now listen, those guys that enlist, guys and gals that enlist in the army and, and, and the guys in World War II, their vision wasn't, man, I cannot wait to sit out this entire war in a German prisoner of war camp. They enlisted thinking, I want to put a bullet in a Nazi. You know what I'm saying? You and I are called, by, when we follow Jesus, we are called to be on the front lines of a spiritual battle. But that battle gets hard, and so here's the arrangement that we make with the enemy. I'll lay down my weapons, and I'll get off the battlefield, and I'll live inside this prisoner of war camp, this spiritual stronghold of individualism, of tribalism, of consumerism, of careerism, and I'll still be a Christian. I'll still get to enjoy some of the benefits of being part of the people of Jesus, but I don't need to go fight that. But then something happens. You wake up to the reality that God did not call you to sit out the war. You break free of the spiritual stronghold. And then it gets real. Right? The war really begins when we start to get on the front line. Now, now here's the thing. I don't want to be a guy. Have you heard people say this? I don't want to see a demon behind every bush. Have you heard people say this? I used to say that all the time. We moved back here and just found ourselves in circles where it was like, tell me one more time about the spirit of confusion that is actually just your poor communication. Do you know what I mean? Like, tell me one more time about this spirit that gets the blame for your actions. So Steph and I wanted nothing to do with it. But then this thing started to happen um, where all of a sudden there were some bushes in my life. And gosh darn it, if there wasn't a demon behind that bush. Almost every Christian I know who reads the Bible believes that demons are a real thing. And by the way, if this is way outside your worldview, I just want to direct you back to some teaching I did in October. The sermon is called Becoming Agents of Reenchantment." Um, some of you have started asking me for like, hey, do you have any resources on this thing? And I, I'm not trying to be self-promoting, but I do like to be like, well, I, I taught a whole series on this three years ago. Here's the link to that. So we did kind of do some work there. Um, so if this worldview kind of is rocking you, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit. But Almost every Christian I know reads the Bible. They believe that demons exist. They believe that spiritual warfare is real, just like over, over there. Like Art and Pam, they're missionaries over there in, in, in Thailand, over, over Ken and Marion, over there in Taiwan, but, but not here, right? We believe it's, it's real over there. Now, that's a real win for the enemy because he gets to operate covertly with no opposition in the West then. But there's this interesting thing that's happening in the cultural shift that we're experiencing as we embrace our exile and our minority position, as we realize that to bless the world in this season, we have to live like missionaries. Oh, dear. We're living like missionaries right here in Warren, which means there's plenty of bushes with plenty of demons behind them right here. The spiritual warfare is moving is moving across the board in our spiritual family from, from spiritual strongholds and thought patterns, from deceptive ideas and disordered desires. It's going to night terrors and confusion 
and anger. It's going to our kids getting sick, us getting sick. It's our cars and our houses breaking. It's cynicism and despair and apathy. It's, it's rebellion against the ways in the words of Jesus. So we're, there we are uh, in the urgent care with Jack. He's having this seizure. Um, we're in the ER. They're, they're stabilizing him. They ran some tests. He's doing good. And as for me and my house, the cause or the resolution, maybe both were supernatural in origin. Is just kind of where we're living with that. And so what remains of this sermon is, Satan, I see your attack on my family. I see your attacks on our spiritual family. I see your attacks on my biological family. I see your attacks on our spiritual family. And I raise you a sermon called The Way of the Warrior. Steph said it so well last week. Spiritual warfare is real. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. We are equipped for this warfare, and we need to be alert but not afraid. I want to unpack all of that, and I want to do that through Romans 8. But let's just talk about this idea of spiritual warfare being real. Why do we believe that spiritual warfare is real? How did I make a transition from there's everybody seeing too many demons behind too many bushes to, yeah, there's some bushes with some demons behind them. How do you make that transition? Um, You just read the Bible as if it is true. Right? Uh, in Daniel 10, there's this really interesting shift that takes place in the Bible. Because in Daniel 10, this moment of, of overt warfare in Daniel 10, it's one of maybe at most two dozen instances of overt spiritual warfare in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, not very often. Then you turn into the pages uh, 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 of, of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And it is suddenly as if there is a bush, uh, there are bushes everywhere and demons behind all of them, right? In some cases, multiple demons, right? And so we see Jesus casting out demons and healing the sick. And he's saying all of these illnesses and all of these things, these are, these are demonically sourced. Why is this happening? It's Satan's last ditch attempt to win, even though he knows the game is over. Hear me say that. I've read the end of the book. You can too. It's Satan's last-ditch attempt at winning, even though he knows the game is over. How many of you have ever played Risk? Okay. You're playing Risk. You have lost the game. You are holed up in Australia in the bottom right hand of the map. And you could give up now, because we all know where this is going. Or you could punish your friends by making them beat you for another two and a half hours. (laughs) Right? Listen, guys, I watched the Super Bowl, kind of, and here's what I know. I know that the Bengals were losing, but they didn't stop playing. Jesus is confronting an enemy who knows the game is over, but just won't stop. And as Jesus is confronting all of this, as he's seeing all of this, what's going through his mind? This is what Greg Boyd says. Greg Boyd says, Jesus never once appealed to a mysterious divine will to explain why a person was sick, maimed or deceased, as many Christians today are inclined to do. Rather, in every instance, he came against such things 
as being the byproducts of a creation gone berserk through the evil influence of his satanic army, of a satanic army. Indeed, many times he attributed sickness to direct demonic involvement. He goes on to say, Jesus diagnosed a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years as one whom Satan bound. Far from trying to discern some secret sovereign blueprint, God won't give you more than you can handle. Far from trying to discern some secret sovereign blueprint behind her grotesque deformity, Jesus treated her as a casualty of war. The one ultimately responsible for her affliction, Jesus claimed, was the captain of the opposing battalion himself. Spiritual warfare is real. And our enemy is not flesh and blood. James Callis says that we see polio or crippling, and we piously shake our heads and cluck all the trite absurdities of a non-thinking people by saying it is the will of God, hard to understand. Providence writes a long sentence. We have to wait to get to heaven to read the answer. Jesus looked at this and in crystal clear terms called it the work of the devil and not the will of God. We battle against unseen forces in the heavenly realms, powers and principalities and authorities. And if Daniel 10 is right, that means that uh, we have reason to believe that demonic forces are assigned to geographical areas or to political structures. And if the gospels are right, the powers and principalities may be responsible for sickness, violence, physical deformity, all sorts of other elements. And even if they don't, even if they aren't responsible, they do delight in them. But here's what we know. Here's what we know. Wake up. Come back to me. The Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God, thank you. The Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Here's what we know. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this same way, in the nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. See, the death and resurrection of Jesus equips us for this war. It equips us for this war. In Romans 8, in Romans chapter 8, if you want to go there with me, it's one of my favorite passages. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 8. Starting in verse 35, it says this, Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean we are no, that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we're standing in an urgent care watching our child seize? No. Despite all these things, we are, he says, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Verse 38, he goes on. By the way, notice, y'all, this is a passage about spiritual warfare. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life. Look what he says next. Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. This is spiritual warfare language. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. The love of God demonstrated in the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus gives us victory over these things. And then look at what Jesus does. In Ephesians chapter 6, there's this passage about armor that we were given. It said, put on all, put on all of God's armors so that you'll stand in the day of battle. Now, I, I was raised in Sunday school, and so I kind of learned that Paul was in jail, and he's looking through his jail cell, and there's a Roman centurion, and he's matching cute spiritual words to what this guy over here is wearing, right? Oh, he's wearing a breastplate. Let's, let's call that righteousness. Oh, he's wearing this. Let's call it this. Guys, here's what's actually happening. The armor that Paul tells us is ours in Christ in Ephesians 6 is God's armor, right? It's like Tony Stark coming up and saying, here, try on the Iron Man suit, right? It's God saying, here is all of this armor that I have worn to be victorious in the battle so you can wear it too. It's this war chest that we get to make. He says, put on righteousness like a breastplate. Put on the helmet of salvation. Do you know where he gets that language? Isaiah 59. He, God, put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He will pay them back to the ends of the earth. Y'all, we are equipped for this warfare with the very armor that God won our victory in. And so we do not need to be afraid. We just need to be alert. Paul says in that same passage in Ephesians 6, pray in the Spirit at all times and in every occasion. Pray in the Spirit at all times and in every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for believers everywhere. Here, why, why am I teaching this today? Why am I teaching this today? Here's why. You, when you said yes to following Jesus, this might be new information. When you said yes to following Jesus, you enlisted in a war. This war is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers in unseen places. And here's the thing about following Jesus. Hear me. Please hear me. You have to keep saying yes. This is a journey, not a destination. This is a journey. It is not a destination. It's not a yes, and then I'll just kind of continue living kind of the normal, standard Trumbull County, slightly nicer than everybody else, Christian lifestyle. I listen to K-Love and kind of post Christian Instagram stuff every once in a while, so I'm probably fine kind of thing. It is an ongoing journey of holiness and sacrifice and blessing and over and over and over against yes, and over and over and over again, yes to Jesus' yes to us. And therefore, you start breaking free of strongholds. Therefore, you start living differently than you lived six months ago, five years ago, ten years ago. And as you break free of those strongholds, then the warfare begins. And so in the spirit of aware, not afraid, here's why, here's why I'm preaching this message. There is a correlation between the amount of breakthrough you're experiencing personally and the breakthrough that you, and the amount of resist, resistance you're going to experience. There is a correlation between the amount of breakthrough we're going to see as a church and the amount of resistance that we're going to experience. And in the spirit of aware, not afraid, here's why I'm preaching this message. I'm, I'm having enough of this kind of conversations with y'all you know, what did our teachers say? Always feel free to ask the question because somebody else is probably asking too, right? 
So when I have like three, four, five, seven, nine conversations about spiritual warfare, I'm starting to think these are just the people that are like courageous enough to say something because everybody else is freaked out that I might call them crazy, right? So I kind of want to just open up a conversation that I'm having one-on-one, that, that I'm, having, I'm having privately, that I'm having in groups, in case, uh, in case it would help you in your journey. Because this is what I'm wondering, and th- this is what I'm hearing, and this is, this is just what I'm wondering. If your roof keeps leaking, and your house keeps breaking, and your car keeps breaking, and the appliance that you bought. Now listen, I'm not talking about your 1970s dishwasher, Old Faithful, nor am I talking about the lemon you just bought, but you just can't get stuff to stop breaking. I'm wondering if something is going on. I'm wondering if your child just keeps getting sick every Sunday, or if every time you say yes to the kingdom, you get sick, or somebody else gets sick, or your anxiety flares, or, or some other issue flares for you. I'm just wondering if you find yourself awake in the middle of the night with anxiety or with a, like a looming sense of dread or with bad dreams, if your sleep is disturbed or disturbing for no apparent reason, I'm wondering if grief just keeps coming in waves and funeral after funeral and death after death just keeps pounding you against this rock of despair and dark night of the soul. I'm wondering if you keep slipping into deeper cynicism and apathy I keep wondering if you are slipping into a deeper boredom with spiritual things. I'm wondering that if you find yourself in spiritual conversations that you can't understand or in which you don't feel understood. I'm wondering if as you're experiencing those things or you're sensing a pattern in your life that discourages you or or distracts you or causes you to disbelieve God or, or that deters you more passionately following him, I'm wondering if you just might need a nap. I'm wondering if maybe like you should talk to your doctor. Uh, I'm wondering if um, like it's Northeast Ohio in winter, maybe you need some vitamin D. I'd love to send you to a counselor, that, a counseling agency that we trust. Um, please, please don't go to non-Christian counselors. Please don't let a person that you don't know what they were doing with their day meddle around with the deepest parts of you, please. Um, um, I'm wondering, you know, we want to be a naturally supernatural church. So some things just are natural phenomenon that, that, that have a natural solution. But sometimes, maybe more often than we'd like to admit, there is a bush. And, and there might just be a demon behind it. There might just be an agent of the evil one assigned to discourage you and distract you and to cause you to disbelieve God or to deter you from following Jesus more passionately. So maybe you're sitting there right now and you are thinking, oh Lord, there is a bush. And you're thinking, okay, great, Kyle, thank you. (laughs) So now I'm demonized, awesome. Um, And I already feel up to here with my life. So I don't know how to have like the bandwidth and the ability to like, deal with this? Um, How do we fall toward Jesus in these moments? How do we take up the armor that he's given us? How do we live into the victory of Jesus? These are just a few things that um, we have found to be true over the last few months and weeks. Um, 
Uh, but, but, but let's start here. When you say yes to Jesus, he grants you the authority over these things. He grants you authority over these things. He gave them authority to cast out demons, okay? And that authority does not depend on your obedience. It doesn't depend on how well you know Scripture. I think this is important. It, doesn't dep- it isn't lesser because you've fallen into sin this week. It isn't lesser because you don't love him as you did at first. He, he's granted you that authority. His death and resurrection have put the open, have put the forces of darkness to open shame. And so when you tell them to go, they run with their tails wagging because they, they were bothering you a little embarrassed to begin with. And so like if you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel maybe like a presence in your room or you had like a particularly terrifying dream this just happened to me a couple of weeks ago yeah i was experiencing a dream and i knew that i knew that i knew that it was it was demonic in origin even in the dream and there was this thing coming out at, at me and i was trying to say the name of jesus in the dream and i couldn't i woke up out of a dead sleep saying help me help me help me right and so what did we do we said the name of jesus out loud and hear me this is really important Demons have an ability to influence your thoughts. They do not have an ability to hear your thoughts. And so sometimes what you try to do is just like kind of quietly like in your head, you're kind of praying, Jesus, help me, kind of stuff like that. That doesn't work. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta at the very least wake up out of a dead sleep and say Jesus. And so actually we now have a rule in our house that it is okay to loudly say the name of Jesus in the middle of the night, even if you wake me up. And then at least that way we can pray together, right? Um, ideally you say this is what you say get out of here in the name of Jesus you have no place here then you say come Holy Spirit yeah Um, at the very least you get the name of Jesus out and Jesus has vested power in his name so that the enemy has to flee at the sound of his name One of the things that we've been doing off and on in seasons is to read scripture out loud before bed. Open to a psalm, just read a passage of scripture out loud uh, before bed. You might find yourself kind of scared in a moment. Um, you can, I, earlier in the service, I don't know if you noticed, I prayed a binding prayer. I just, I said, I bind in the name of Jesus, right? Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom. He says, whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, Okay. So we have the ability to say, I bind you in the name of Jesus and I send you where Jesus is sending you. Um, I didn't say this in the first, but it, it would be good to say, you don't ask it to manifest and you do not ask, you don't talk to it, okay? You just, you just talk to the Lord about it, okay? Um, unless you're casting it out, but like don't ask it for more information. And I'm, I'm just telling you I've had people do that. That's bad. I'm just saying, you know. Um, um, come to Naturally Supernatural 4, which is in May, May 13th and 14th. We'll talk. It's going to be a whole weekend workshop about spiritual warfare. Should be super fun. Um, and, if, and if none of this is making sense to you, and um, if, if, if this feels... Um, 
weird or wacky or you're just thinking like, I don't even know what this is, um, that's fine. I would then love for you to pray for the two or three dozen people in our church, leaders and emerging leaders whose kids and spouses and bodies and cars and vehicles are under attack on a regular basis. Do you know what I mean? Um, like if you're thinking like, this is weird, then that's fine. Please just pray for my family's protection. You know? Um, another thing you can do is if you're starting to wonder, if you're sitting here, this is going to kind of be my last thing. If you're sitting here and your heart is beating because you're like, this is describing my experiences. Please, please come back for prayer today. Steph and I will be at the back of the room. Mark and Pam will be at the back of the room. We would love to pray with you about some of this. Um, um, you know, it's good to then, well, we would then tell you, why don't you gather a couple people around you that will pray and fast? And some people have been saying, I don't really know how to fast. Okay, well, good news. One, um, your social media starting during Lent is about to be blown up with little reminder videos of our six-week uh, fasting series. I'm learning that nobody really remembers that we've taught on fasting. I think it's because on week two, you just like blacked out, <laughs> you know, um, but fasting and praying with others can be good because Jesus says some of these only come out by prayer and fasting. But if you today are finding yourself, we would love to pray with you. But, but let me end with this. Um, when you read the New Testament, anytime Jesus is confronted with a demon, it's when he's about to reveal something about himself. right? And in Jesus's engagement with that demon, it reveals something about himself. And I think our temptation in this moment is sometimes to become obsessed with the warfare and in the process to have our eyes go to the wrong place. Y'all look to Jesus in this moment, okay? Ask Jesus to show you where he is in that scenario. You may have never prayed that way before. It's okay to ask Jesus to help you see what he's up to in this. Because what's happening in that moment of spiritual warfare is the enemy is trying to like obscure or cover up or distract or hide from you something that Jesus wants you to know is true about himself. Yeah? Um, look to Jesus because in Jesus, through him, we are more than conquerors. Amen? Amen. Here at Regen, we do response time because we don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to be living out the word. And I just want to, um, one of the things we also talked about in the, the last service was this idea that if you come back for prayer, that's not like a moral issue. It's like a moral defect. There's something um, wrong with you. Um, this fall, I was actually, I always struggle with anxiety. So anxiety at night is not something new. But I was waking up in the night and having just these overwhelming feelings of dread and very specific worst case scenarios coming to mind, usually about someone dying. And so I was in kind of a, a, a conference setting and they were talking about, um, you know, if anyone needed prayer because they felt like maybe this was happening to them. And I was like, I'm saying this for those of you who are sitting here like, I don't know, I don't really know. And I, cause that was the whole thing. I'm like, well, I'm an anxious person. Is it just my anxiety? What's happening? And so I decided to, to ask for prayer and um, it really hasn't happened since. And so there was something I feel like that the enemy was doing to kind of particularly um, you know, steal my sleep from me and kind of create these feelings of pretty intense fear. Um, so I just want to encourage you, if, if anything like that is happening, if anything kind of struck a nerve for you today, to please come back for prayer. We'd love to pray for you. If it's not, prayer never hurts. 
right? Like it, either it could help or if it, if it doesn't, if there's not some relief from that, then you know, as Kyle said, it might need to be more of like a, a counselor or something like that and that's okay too. Um, so uh, we're gonna have a moment here where we just reflect. I just wanna ask you, like what is Jesus saying to you this morning? We've talked about a lot of like hard things, maybe scary things for you, maybe new things for you. And so what is the invitation the Father has for you? How does Jesus want to draw close to you today? How does he want to show himself to you? So let's just take that moment and do that. Father, we thank you today um, that your love for us is unstoppable and never-ending. We thank you um, that even when we come up against these things that are weird or new or different or, or even fear-inducing, that um, we are more than conquerors through Jesus. And we thank you for just the power and authority that we as his children have to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. And we thank you, Father, um, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in confidence, we can walk in joy, and we can walk in peace. And so I pray that over these dear brothers and sisters this week. I pray just such a, a strong confidence and such a sense of, of joy and peace um, because you love us and nothing can stop that love. In Jesus' name. <laughs>